0: Welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting for the Morton Studio. I'm Darren Hefty. Yeah, it's been quite a quite a run here the last few weeks, and especially this last week with Commodity Classic. It was quite interesting. We got to give a couple of talks down there and visit with farmers from around the country. And if you're listening to the show today, you say, "Yeah, I, I was at Commodity Classic. Um, it was it was quite an event this year." And we always enjoy our time there, just with so many really good farmers from all over the place and uh, uh, all the conversations about it. It makes you feel like planting is here. Now I realize it is here for, for some of you and yeah, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I wish we were out in the field. I wish we could just see green out our window instead of all this white snow, but it'll be here before you know it. Uh, you know, one of the things, speak about that. So we had record cold temperatures here over the weekend. The uh, the coldest I believe it had been in March in our state and, I, I was thinking, wow, that's, that really stinks. But for farmers who already have corn popping out of the ground and have got cold temperatures in their areas, wow, um, that, that changes the game a little bit when you've actually got a crop growing out there. Uh, I, I was talking to um, somebody from Texas that's got some corn up out of the ground, and they were just wondering what's going to happen to the corn if we get below freezing, if and when we get below freezing, because it looked like it was highly likely in that area it was going to happen. I said, you know what? Uh, how big is the corn? Well, just a couple inches tall. Then I'm, I'm not worried at all. We've had this a number of times on our farm where we've had some corn pop up, and especially in the low-lying areas where, where we've got more likelihood of getting some frost. And frost sets into those valleys. We've burned off a leaf or even two leaves before, and the corn just grew right through it. You know, And the, the big thing, the only real worry that I would have, and a lot of times wind takes care of this, but the real worry I would have is if uh, the the leaves that died off just kind of uh, sucked together and and made it really a sticky mess so a new leaf couldn't push through. That would be my only fear when we get a little bit of frost in those low-lying areas. But outside of that, it, all you've got above ground when corn, when it's only a few inches tall, is just leaf material. And with leaf material, it, yeah, you can lose it, and it's, it's not this huge yield loss that, that you're going to worry about. The growing point is going to be safely below ground on corn until you've got uh, that sixth collar. You've, then you've got that growing point above ground, and now you're at more risk of frost. Now, if you had an issue with planting and you left the furrow open or you had some real shallow planting depth, these kinds of things, you could see more of an issue. But assuming everything went well with your planting operation that early frost isn't going to take too much away from you. And I think you'll be happy that you got the corn in earlier. You'll have a great big root system underneath that plant, and recovery will be pretty quick. Yeah, we're talking um, corn that's already in the ground, and we've got a lot of corn in the bag, of course. And, and that's the fun part at Commodity Classic is just talking with everybody about, okay, what are you changing this year? What are you doing on your planter? What are you excited about? How are you going to make this year's crop even better than before? because we, we need it. We need the, we need the yield to make profit and, and we need to keep continually getting better in order to, uh, to pay the bills and, and to reach what our goals are going to be. We were talking to, uh, quite a few farmers that were, were hitting 300 bushel corn in a variety of States, a whole bunch of States. And that's fantastic. But now they want to get the whole operation there. And yeah, it's, it's just fun having those kinds of conversations of what's, what's it going to take to get to the next level. Brian, uh, what what kind of conversations, uh, topics of Commodity Classic were, were most interesting to you?
1: Well, I don't know that it's necessarily Commodity Classic. It's just at this time of the year, the most important thing that guys are focused on is getting that crop in the ground and actually trying to make some money this year. But the problem is we're looking at delayed planting across much of the country. So, even though at the moment it's forecast that we're going to see more corn and more wheat acres, I don't know. I don't know. In the northern U.S., I really doubt that. I still think we're going to see more soybeans than we've been expecting. And that's probably the biggest thing, guys. Like I say, I just want to figure out okay, how do I get a good, successful, profitable crop going into this year? And probably the biggest thing that I've had questions about here lately has just been Enlist has gotten approved. So, should I put a few acres to enlist? Do I stay with extend? What do I do to get these weeds under control? Because weed issues, well, I, I mean, we're the we're the weed of the week guys. So we're talking weeds all the time, and we get those questions. How am I going to control resistant weeds? Well, one of the things that we've been talking a lot about lately too is. You know, just getting not only the pre-emerge herbicide on, getting that done, but then also making sure that you're you're spraying really timely post-emerge. If you're out there early on, even with, you know, a Cobra Flexstar Cadet, something that's going to burn down existing weeds, you got to do it when when those weeds are small and actively growing. So those are probably the biggest things I I, I guess that I would say lately. I've been talking to guys about. We've spent a lot of time over the last few years discussing the three pre-strategy. Basically, I don't care what crop it is. You want to try to have three effective modes of action. If I can get them out there pre-emerge like I can in soybeans, that's awesome. We don't always have three effective modes of action to use pre-emerge. So wheat, for example, I don't even know what I would do to try to find three effective modes of action on every single weed, pre-emergent wheat. But in soybeans, I can do it, and I can do it relatively inexpensively.
0: Yeah, the effective part of that is that when you bring up wheat, uh, it thought, oh, well, wait a second, Brian, we've got group 15, we've got... Uh, a group two, <laughs> the group
1: fifteen. You really shouldn't use pre. That should probably be early post, just to be on the safe side.
0: Nope, totally agree. And that, and that's the challenge. You can get multiple and, oh, and, residual products out there. I guess that was what I was getting. Yeah,
1: at. by group fifteen, also what what we're talking about there is Zidua in wheat. That's the only group fifteen we've got in wheat and yeah, soybeans. Oh, and don't
0: and don't be confused too, because some will say, "Well, wait a minute, we can use the anthem products there too." Yes, you can use anthem, <clears> but anthem has the same active ingredient as Zidua.
1: Right. So anyway, uh, in soybeans, the group 15s would be Outlook, Dual, in corn, we've got Harness, Surpass, bunch of different products there, all in the same chemical family. That's part of the thing, too. We like rotating chemical families as much as we can, so that's one of the reasons why I hate using uh, soybean pre as much.
0: Right, today we're going to share a little bit from our our workshop we had at Thief River Falls with some Q&A with farmers along the way. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio.
2: Fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger
0: ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre emerge, Sonic is proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your
3: field from invaders. Visit battleweeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir!
0: When looking for someone to help with your risk management, a key component to look for is patience. Patience to bring you along in the process at your own speed. Patience to learn about your operation and patience to not only discuss what strategies may be effective for your plan, but why they would be effective. That's the strength of Grain PhD. I'm Darren Hefty. When you're ready to become more engaged in your risk management, Grain PhD can assist you with that process. Visit
2: GrainPhD.com to learn more. One year it could be moisture stress, another pythium or nematodes. So you need your soybeans to rise ready for whatever the season holds. Now one simple decision provides coverage on four fronts. The Acceleron portfolio, fungicides, insecticides, bio-enhancers, and an industry-leading nematicide that strikes where nematodes attack. This season, rise stronger with Acceleron seed treatment products. Learn more at acceleronsas.com slash riseready. Performance may vary. It's important to use proper PPE when handling treated seed.
4: Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app, temperature-humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at StepsGMS.com.
0: Welcome back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty here along with agronomist Rob Fritz. And we are we're broadcasting from an Ag PhD, 101 Ways to Cut Farm Expenses Now workshop. And we talked through a number of different ways that we can, can control expenses. And we're gonna take some questions from our audience here and we thought we would share that with our, our radio audience today. Um, Rob, what are, what are some of the big questions that come forth from growers that you're hearing this year about cutting costs?
3: Well, basically, the biggest one that we get is, you know, the, the biggest part of the input for most guys that we're dealing with is, is basically fertilizer. Um, fertilizer is, is one of those things where it's, it's hard to know exactly where you need to be sometimes every single person you talk to has a little different idea. Well, and with
0: all the nutrients too. I mean, how much did you put enough zinc out with that one quart you put in furrow or should you put a quart and a half? Or could you have gotten by on three quarters of a pint? Maybe, right. or a pint. Maybe right. maybe that would have been sufficient there. And, you know, we talked about reading a soil test and taking good soil tests, uh, but it comes down to plant tissue analysis as well, just to see, are we getting those nutrients into the crop?
3: Yeah, and and really the the, the way I look at that is, is if you're getting the tissue test, you're actually getting the report card. Did I do a good job? You know, is the plant happy? You know, is it, is it telling us that we're doing everything right or are we missing something? And that's, you know, I don't like guys to instantly go and want to, uh, you know, if they're first time ever doing it, I say don't go and be adding anything to your crop. Just take the tissue test and then take a couple more to follow so you're at least getting the data set. And then next year, we can use that to make changes because sometimes you'll get a rain event and everything will come up and you'll think you had a problem and you didn't really have one, so. Yeah,
0: I think it's building that database first and then starting to adjust next year once right. you kind of have some data to Don't build over-react. off of. Uh, again, if you've got a question uh, here for our audience, just, just raise your hand. We'd, we'd love to uh, get you started. Okay, here's one uh, right over just here. Just a second. I agree with you, Rob. Fertilizer is a big expense and it's certainly one guy's
2: one. Yeah, last year we had a lot of ragweed in our soybeans. Now, what's the best way to handle that to clear up the land for another year? Or uh, we ended up harvesting them the way they they were out there when they didn't go through the combine very good.
0: Yeah, ragweed has certainly been a problem. Um, You know, whether it's giant ragweed or common ragweed, both of those weeds have shown some resistance to roundup. Uh, which has been, you know, primary chemistry in soybeans for years. Uh, when we when we think about it, we got a few different things in a soybean crop. We could switch to Liberty. We could switch to Extend. Uh, the new Enlist crop, when that gets fully approved, they would offer us some other herbicide choices in crop like mm-hmm. Liberty or Enlist One, or uh, you know, one of the dicamba products, Ingenia, right. Fexapan, Extendimax. That would be an opportunity we could switch traits. Maybe you say, nope, I'm in conventional beans. I gotta stay with conventional. What are conventional products that I could use for ragweed? If it's not ALS resistant ragweed, we've had pretty good luck with first rate. Uh, I really like first rate mixed with either Flexstar or Cobra, depending on what you've got for a crop rotation to try and add a little more heat to that. And the other thing, and this is a real challenge with, especially giant ragweed, getting it when it's small. That stuff grows really fast and getting it under control early. So I like the pre-emerge strategies. Rob, what is what do you recommend pre for the guys that have ragweed issues?
3: Well and the other thing I was gonna say is that was in a soybean crop you're most likely going to rotate to corn next year and the, the thing to not forget is now you have all that seed. So before we go too far you know making sure that if you're rotating out like triple flex might be an option for you going in on that next corn crop to make sure that's a good pre for the corn, to knock out some help on that giant ragweed. And then also, your status would be great follow-up product in corn. That's the strongest by far, if you've got a real infestation. Now, as far as pre's and beans, You know, I've had pretty good luck with the Authority-branded products, Authority-first might be your choice. Yeah,
0: yeah, you wouldn't be able to use first-rate post, but 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 yeah, it'd be a really good option for Especially
3: if you're going to trade it or a a Liberty, say, where you're not planning on bringing a first-rate back in or the new and less trade.
0: Okay, where we're at today, Rob, there's a lot of wheat in the rotation, and I like sharpened pre-emerge on wheat. I like two ounces up front. That does a nice job holding back a lot of the ragweed. And then post-emerge, I like Husky, and I like using it at a relatively strong rate. Uh, The other thing that you could do if it's not ALS-resistant ragweed, you could mix in uh, one of the Affinity products to add a little boost of of, uh, kick. I prefer that to 2,4-D in wheat. Now, I like 2,4-D or the Enlist products in Enlist crops. That's nice. But when we're talking about spraying a 2,4-D over wheat, it's very much like spraying 2,4-D over corn. It's kind of hard on the crop, and I would prefer using a safer option. I think we've got a higher yield ceiling when we do. All right, thanks for the question. Yeah, ragweed's a big one. Do you have a follow-up? You, very much. you bet. Uh, you know, there's a lot of problem weeds, and that's one of the things that's a challenge, Rob, is we're talking about cutting expenses, uh, trying to control weeds at the same time. All right, let's take another question.
2: My question has to do with the... Uh, a lot of operators have smaller acreages and you can't get a custom operator to come in and do some of the chemicals and our applications. We can't afford to own a sprayer for a couple hundred acres. Uh, technology isn't gonna be available for us to do that. Uh, so we're kinda limited in what we can do for some of these hard to control uh, weeds that are resistant now
0: yeah you know and, and it is a challenge we, we see it in a lot of areas of agriculture. It seems like a lot of guys will say, well, you either got to get big or you got to get out and I, I think there's a there's a certain level that you need to be at to own different pieces of equipment and I agree with you if you've if your farm operation in terms of uh, cropland is not huge, uh, owning your own sprayer may or may not be in the cards for you maybe it's I found one that was really in good shape, but at a sale or maybe it's, you know what, I got a neighbor, he's got a a young son or daughter that's coming on and they're doing some custom spraying to try and work that next generation in. Maybe I'm their guy that, you know, hey, would you spray my 200 acres as well? That might be your best option, because I get it. You know, even some of the custom applicators are looking for bigger acreages that they can put together so they aren't, uh, you know, taking up more time by spraying small fields, they'd prefer the big ones that might be an option for you.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I've got a few guys that are smaller acreages, and they have, uh, you know, it wouldn't be the most modern of equipment, but the funny thing is whether you got a, I guess the way I look at it, a 100-gallon tank, I've even had guys that have sprayed with their, uh, like a Polaris Ranger, with a 100-gallon tank, because really, the tank, the pump, and the, of course, I'm not trying to sell you a new piece of equipment, but the, the tank, the pump, and the spray boom don't make it work. The nozzle and the product makes it work. And if, the, if you get the application and you get the product onto the plant, and uh, I know it's, it's, uh, it's nice to have the 120-foot boom and the big piece, but that, that's really not the business end of the equipment. So I know, uh, I used to spray for game and fish with a 40, 45-foot boom and a 200-gallon uh, three-point. And I used to cover a ton of acres. Yeah, you and can do
0: that. You can run smaller equipment. You could run saddle tanks on your yep. tractor and put spray nozzles on behind your tillage tool or behind, even right. behind your planter. I've seen some guys spraying their pre-morture herbicide right with the planter in one pass. You know, a lot now of that, times... That helps. You, you end up being uh, a one-man show in some of these operations where you don't exactly have a whole bunch of hired help because you aren't farming this huge amount of acres. And if you can do that where, hey, I can just add some spray nozzles onto my tillage tool and I'll have my trifluralin on, I'll work it right in, that might be an option for you too. Yep. And, and I get it, some of those post applications might be a little tougher, yeah. but it might be like Rob said, where you run some smaller equipment that the guys are getting out of. Uh, goodness, we run some small equipment in our research plots because we're doing so just, many different just treatments. Just two years
3: ago, we had a what, 1980 something, what was that, I uh, uh, can't remember, it was spray coop? I yeah, covered yeah. a ton of acres. We still use that. I couldn't, see that was great for me. I couldn't fit in it, literally. <laughs> Physically couldn't fit in it, so I was out. I was like, I can't even finish. shut the door, so I'm out. Yeah, there, there are so many different
0: ways that, that we can save money on the farm. And one of them that we've talked about over and over again today, is trying to do more things ourselves, especially things that cost hundreds of dollars an hour to hire somebody else. We're going to talk about more ways where you can save some money on your own farm and answer some questions as well. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back.
5: In farming, there's a lot of variables out of our control. Don't let fertility be one of them. Let the experts at AgroLiquid move you closer to your bullseye. It's true, AgroLiquid fertilizers are formulated to keep nutrients available to your crop, and they have unmatched compatibility with other nutrients and crop protection products, which makes application more efficient than ever. But we also have the best people in the field ready to talk about your operation, your goals. Go to AgroLiquid.com to move you closer closer to your target.
2: With the success of the Case IH Stiger Quad Track and Magnum Road Track tractors, it's no secret why Case IH is the leader of the track. So it wasn't surprising when the competition started imitating us. Because Case IH offered the first five axle design to give you more power to the ground with less burbing and compaction, all to help you be more productive. Still, we're flattered. In fact, if we weren't already red, We'd be blushing. To learn more, visit caseih.com tracks.
1: High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the High Yield Grower Toolbox.
2: In farming, getting things done early has a way of setting you up for success. Like using Corvus for an early season win over weeds. Corvus keeps even the toughest weeds from gaining a foothold. Multiple sites of action deliver superior control of emerged weeds. And later, Corvus reactivates with just a half inch of rain to take out any new weeds that may have sprouted. So get an early season win against weeds with Corvus for end of season rewards. Always read and follow label instructions. Corvus is a restricted use pesticide.
6: Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty along with Rob Fritz today. We're taking questions here from an audience following an Ag PhD workshop. And uh, let's get right back to, uh, to some of those questions.
6: Uh, water hemp is becoming more of a problem in pretty much all our crops. And this one of the bigger surprises is wheat. Uh, you know, I can understand corn and beans, but like for example, when you're talking about husky, do you like that better on, on water hemp? And then on a second question, on any escapes, we were putting down pretty high rates of 2,4-D and were less than impressed. Is it something where you would suggests putting dicamba with that uh, possibly late season. This was, this was pretty much right up. Uh, gosh, it was, it was after flowering when we were doing this.
0: Yeah, we talk a lot about water hemp and pigweeds, but primarily we're talking in soybeans. So you're bringing up a different crop here with wheat. And, you know, many of the times with wheat, we can get a good enough crop canopy that we don't have a huge emergence. But last year, especially, it was a really unusual year. It was it was unbelievable. The pressure from the start of the year to the finish of the year was ridiculous. What I really like in wheat is I like using two ounces of sharpened down. And I know a lot of guys say, oh man, that's ten dollars, Darren. I don't want to spend ten dollars on a wheat pre. What if it took out your kosher? What if it took out your water hemp? What if it took out your ragweed? What if it took out your lambs corners? Would that be worth 10 bucks to you? That's even at today's wheat price, it doesn't take many bushels to make that work. And I think it's something that if you say, well, I've never done that before, then give me your weediest field and give it a try. Leave one check strip that you don't spray, but spray the rest of the field and then see. Don't do like my dad did. I remember when Command first came out and we had one field that had velvet leaf and it was thick. And that was uh, what we used to call the East 80. And my dad decided to leave one strip that he treated and the rest of the field untreated check guess who got to hand weed the rest of that field? Brian and me, we spent a lot of time out there. We're like, dad, if you ever do this again, like leave a check strip that's like two feet wide. We don't wanna have to pull that much. But anyway, I would recommend that. Do the sharpen, just take one field and probably take your worst field. So let's put it to the test here and see how it does. And then leave a realistic check strip um, you know, make sure you're not drifting into it or anything like that. So you can really see, did it work or did it not? Because uh, we've had good luck with sharpening. You can use a pretty good, strong rate in front of wheat. Now, I don't like sharpening so much in front of soybeans just because you can't use enough rate. You're limited on the label, I think, to one ounce per acre in most situations. So that, that I, I don't like that. I'd rather use like one of the authority products like right. Rob was talking about earlier or Valor or something like that. But in, in wheat, I like to sharpen down. Now, you asked specifically about Husky over the top. Here's the challenge. So Husky has two different active ingredients in it. One is an HPPD. Now there is some pigweed resistance to HPPDs in some areas. I don't know that we've got that right here where we're speaking today. You won't but, have it
3: here. No, I don't but
0: there, there, are, there, are, you know, there are some yeah. areas of the country where we're starting to see a little bit of that. But the other component in Husky is bucktrel is probably, one of its weaker weeds is pigweed, unfortunately. We've got about, in a normal rate of husky, about 7 tenths of a pint of bucktrill. So we've got a pretty good start rate of bucktrill, plus we've got that HPPD. So I would say the is going to do about 50%, but then that HPPD is going to add a little more to it. What we're seeing some success with with some wheat growers is they're saying, okay, instead of, you know, the normal rate of husky, I'm going to go up to the full labeled rate and just add in another two or three ounces to get up to the full labeled rate, and they're having better luck with that. Uh, The other thing that they're really having to do, though, is get out there fairly early to do it, and I I get it. You've got a timing window with husky that that you have to have it done by, but you um, you also have weed height that you're contending against, so you want those weeds to be for sure smaller than a pop can tall, but I would say more like two to three inches if you wanna have a realistic shot. Otherwise they just branch out so fast and get so many growing points, it's really tough to get through them. So that, that'd be
3: my suggestion, spray okay, early. I, I can't see anything that's gonna be any better than the, the Husky. Um, we're gonna run into trouble, you know, two 4Ds and banvilles, you're gonna, you could mess with your wheat, you wanna stay away from that, except for once the wheat's cured then you know, then we could do some things just so we can harvest. And we've actually ran into that before on our farm yeah. a little bit. We've had to go in and, and knock some stuff out so harvest can be, uh, can be taken care of. You know, and
0: here's, they're pretty prolific. Here's another thing, Rob, because we talked about today 101 ways to cut farm expenses. And one of the things that we said was, hey, spray only on certain days. Spray when it's warmer. Spray when it's sunny. Spray during the day, spray when humidity is up, spray when you have really good growing conditions. All those things can help you on this too. And I know, you know, where we're at today, we're in Thief River Falls, Minnesota. Uh, how many warm, sunny, really humid, awesome growing degree days do you guys get? Let's face it, not that many. So, you know, here's the thing. Growers think, oh, it's, it's easy to do this or that. Really, try farming uh, in Northern Minnesota. It's not <laughs> easy. So we got to find those days and then when we do, here's one of the things that Brian and I have done on our farm. We'll take our worst fields and we'll spray them on the best spray days. So if you've got a field that you say, oh man, this field over here is dirty. And I mean like a lot of Brian's ground, that's going to be where the weeds are at. So we're going to save the best spray days for those fields. And then on the day that, and it's kind of marginal, I wish it was a little warmer. You know, it, it's mostly cloudy today, but I got to get stuff done. Spray the fields that hardly have any weeds. You know, the fields that you're like, well, I wonder why I'm even out here. You know, there's a weed here and a weed there. It's probably not taking that much yield. Spray those on those marginal days and and you'll be happy. Yep, got a question over here.
3: Yeah, you know, some of these programs, some of these things you're talking about, and I'll go back to soybeans and stuff. Wasn't that many years ago when soybean looked at a crop that really didn't require that much care. You know, put it out
2: there. Yep. A lot of pressure. Weeds come back, probably the last product the crop
3: you were gonna go out there and spray for weed control, uh, required very little fertilizer. So but over the last few years of farming, we're starting to see that it's a misconception and it's changing. Uh, so we're taking a more of a proactive rather than a reactive approach to it. With that in mind, making an application of fungicides to soybeans, how many applications should we be looking at?
0: Yeah. Is it okay, so the, the question, let me restate this. I'm not sure how, how well the mics picked that up. Uh, so in soybeans, we used to think about soybeans as a crop that didn't take a lot of maintenance. They're a fairly easy, low-input crop, but now we're seeing more issues with insects, with diseases, and these kinds of things. We hear a lot about fungicide use in soybeans. How many applications do we really need? We're looking at this on our farm, too, because we've got white mold.
3: When you've got white mold, it takes at least a couple applications most year to protect your plant. On... on I guess for the guys that are really aiming for the big yields, we leave open basically an R1, an R3, and an R5. So if three, we're really, different, three different if, timings. If we're really trying to push it. In fact, um, I think based on some of the things that happened last year, some guys actually did really good with an R5. If you talk to the guys for basically Iowa South, R5 is a standard practice for them now because there's things that come in late in the season. But for the most part we're R1 and R3. R1 being protect that flower from the white mold, R3 being the yield gainer, and then R5 is more of like the yield maintainer. So it's it's really, when is what is the weather doing at that break point, you know? And for us last year, I'd say the biggest gainer was actually the R1. And then if you actually hit the R1 right, which a lot of guys, Will tell you they're going to flower around this day but that's not true because you have to walk almost every field to catch that r1 timing if you really want to get the white mold in and it's, and, it's not easy and, and
0: if you don't have any disease generally if we go in that r2 r3 stage that's, which would be full bloom to first pod right that's that's historically what all the data has shown that's when we get the best return on investment Uh, The Iowa On-Farm Network, which is uh, part of the Iowa Soybean Association, they've done a lot of research work on this. Based on the price of soybeans, the cost of fungicide applications, uh, it's a pretty good two-to-one historic average return on investment. So, uh, in the face of no disease, it looks pretty good. Uh, So, something to keep in mind. Now, here's the other thing. Fungicide prices have come down, and there are some deals. A lot of them have gone off patent, so it might be even better than that today. So yeah, soybeans used to be pretty low maintenance. Now we're starting to see they need a little bit of help if we want to get high yields. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're taking questions from our audience following 101 ways to cut farm expenses now workshop. We'll be right back after this.
6: Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season
5: with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. No secrets here, we all know, regardless of the markets balanced crop nutrition pays. AgroLiquid fertilizers have the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you determine the best use of your fertilizer dollar. AgroLiquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit agroliquid.com to find a
2: dealer near you. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two,
6: save three. That is good advice.
2: For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy2Save3 are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at mortonbuildings.com.
5: Want to cut production costs without losing yield? The Soil Warrior can reduce trips across the field, optimize nutrient placement, and improve soil health.
2: So you can lower production costs without losing yield. See what makes the Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. We started utilizing the Dual React system this year. You can adjust your speed and it automatically adjusts your sprayer tips. So you can slow down and you aren't building up huge droplets or you can speed up and you're not throwing a mist that's drifting. Hypro, helping you spray better.
0: listening to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty along with Rob Fritz. We are broadcasting following an Ag PhD workshop and we're taking questions from our audience. We wanted to share that with you today.
3: Uh, let's get to another question. Uh, Alex from Minnesota. Uh, my question is if I'm broadcasting micronutrients, is it better to broadcast that alone in its own micro mix or will it stay in the correct suspension in a large MPK blend?
0: You're talking about dry now.
3: Dry, yes.
0: <laughs> Rob just smiles, because <laughs> Rob's dealt with all the problems
3: <laughs> when it comes about, to protect
0: not just on our farm, with others as well.
3: It's, you know, we talked earlier about technology. Uh, the other guy was, you know, we had a prior conversation about, you know, how far advanced is technology that you need to have it. In this situation, multi-bin spreaders can save everybody a lot of pain, because every one of the- So here's an
0: equipment investment that you feel is worth it.
3: Well, here's the problem is, zinc sulfate, you can get zinc sulfate that's 65 pounds, and you can get zinc sulfate that's 100 pounds. Okay, so you start throwing zinc sulfate at 100 pounds in with urea, and you got a disaster. right? You you can do the same thing with with your boron. You could have 20% boron or 15% boron, and each one's going to have a different density and, and so really, we've tried this, and it hasn't really worked well. Unless you, there's a couple companies that formulate things that are all the same general size and weight. You can pull a couple of those off together. But generally, I'd say that's where your multi-bin spreader technology really pays. I had a producer pick up a three bin with a two micro bin at an auction on one of the, you know, auction time or whatever, he was able to get it for $18,000 and it worked great. And I was jealous, I wish we had it. Um, that's the kind of thing that is coming out of the system now as they're retiring these and they still work great, that would be my recommendation. You know, those micro bin spreaders really do the job. And they're the only way to mix multi-component products. Now in a, in a water tank, starting to do some foliar things, it gets more flexible. But as far as dry, I just haven't been happy with multi-product mixes. It just too many, too many problems. You know, all your boron goes one way. You know, the centers have problems. We had some beans where we had a problem this year. There was about eight foot wide of beans in the middle that we about what a week delayed
0: <laughs> yes we yes. didn't do the best job of spreading <laughs> um, uh, we make mistakes and you know that's one of the things we like to talk about it because uh, as we were talking about earlier in the meeting we want to learn from our own mistakes and not do them again but we'd prefer if you learn from our mistakes and not make them in the first place uh, that that's much better Right, But yeah, I think uh, we're getting into a lot more of this as we do grid soil sampling, as we do complete samples where we actually see what all the micro levels are. And when you realize, well, like Rob, you were just looking through on our own farm and our own yields, that almost every time our yield limiting factors ended up being a micronutrient.
3: It's two micronutrients right now that I can lay down that are causing most of our problems. And I think I got two more laying behind it that we haven't sampled yet. (laughs) Well, and
0: as soon as, we eliminate those one first
3: two. Or two. Now all of a sudden, that secondary one up. that
0: yep. that's going to be our next limiting factor. Right. So we just keep working our way P down. We've got P and
3: less. K out of the way, and nitrogen isn't a problem. And I mean, you just keep filtering to the one that's actually causing your next problem. All right, that's let's take another question here. Uh,
6: let's see. This afternoon, one of the biggest takeaways I think is that you
0: said that that uh, soybeans don't necessarily like to be crowded when you plant them. Uh, they're maybe very similar to corn. Uh, I always thought that you want to crowd soybeans, that they, they, you want to plant them thick. And but now you're almost saying to singulate and, and uh, slow down the planter to two miles an hour and we'll have 70 bushels That's, bush that's what's working in our area. Now, yeah. you've got some different challenges where you farm, and we talked a little bit about how growers with high pH soil like to plant a heavier Uh, plant population, also growers doing conventional tillage that are concerned about surface crusting. If you plant and you've just got this nicely worked field and all of a sudden you get a pounding rain, and you guys have had some pounding rains, I'd be nervous about that crusting issue and you may want to have a little higher population to make sure you got the push. Now, row spacing can make a difference here too. If you're in 15-inch rows and you want to crowd the beans, that's expensive. If you're in a 30 inch row, well, you don't have to have that much population to be able to still get that push. So it may influence your row spacing decision
3: as well. I don't know, I guess, I, I still think that even if you have a higher population cause you have an IDC problem, the spacing still has, you know, merit because they're still competing with each other, you know, and they're competing for sunlight. And so when we balance them out, I think they just, you know, it's, I still think that corn thing holds. You know, if two corn plants come out of the ground the same day, they're not a competitor. But one is delayed by a couple days, it is now a competitor. And I still think those things are going to hold. I mean, it's, it appears to be the case. The wheat guys, they're talking about singulation, you know, and, and lower populations. And lower populations.
0: Well, and it's not just from a standpoint of trying to cut seed costs. No. I mean, for some growers, it is. It's, ah, uh, I want to cut seed costs, so I'm just going to cut my population a little bit. It's really about how do I get the most out of each plant, and am I feeding each plant? Each plant. You know, we've seen some of the silage guys uh, in, in different areas that are pushing populations at 45, 50,000 plants per acre. L- what's the biomass in each plant, and how much does it go down when you're increasing each population? Well, it, when you're boosting population, if you can hold that plant size the same or that ear size the same. So now you're, you're moving it. You're not hurting anything, you're moving the needle forward. So with soybeans, we just don't feel we're moving the needle forward anymore. We put more plants out there, they just put on less pods per plant. And we've all seen it, where we've gotten great big tall beans, and then they don't yield very well. And it's like, what? They look like 80 bushel beans out there and I got 40. And then another time I've got knee high soybeans, and they look like junk, and you got 40 there. You're like, wait a second. I've, these beans are terrible, and they surprise me. It isn't necessarily that we need no. more plants; we just need those beans to fill out and pod up very well. The other thing, though, too, Rob, that we've been really, really big on the last couple of years is planting date. Right. That was huge last year. Pushing where, it forward.
3: Where did you see the difference? So you see bigger beans, more pods, or more nodes? Um, actually, we determined that he was he had two planting dates, thirteen bushels for seven days. Now, we seven, had. Seven days later, planting cost him 13 bushel. And it was replicated twice. And we, but we had four 85 degree days in those seven days. So we truthfully lost heat units. And I firmly believe every 80 degree day is two bushel corn or beans. That's kind of where I've come to. It's kind of an unofficial thing. Well, I'd rather lose two bushel of corn than two bushel of beans. And it seems like it's been carrying through very well. And it just comes down to... And it doesn't really cost you it, anymore, it, it, in right. most if, cases, to no, plant if it's that a few days earlier. If it's a 40 degree day, nothing, nothing's lost. Nothing's gained. But when, there's, when they're 85 degrees, like we had last year, we went from standing snow, you know, to it was ready to go, and it was that short, that seven days made that much difference. It was 13.2 bushel. And, and he, he entertained me uh, with this whole thing and actually I asked for him to not plant 20 acres or 10 acres in both fields and he did which is awesome because one of the things we always say if you don't test it you don't know but nothing that the take-home is nothing makes me no more nervous you, to your private conversation is when I pull up into the field and the guys like these look like 80 bushel beans I'm like let's not get out Let we're gonna leave because they're not gonna be that good I the worst beans look is usually the better they yield. And, and it's part of that whole thing. You get that big, tall growth, you've just wasted all that energy on size and you're not putting it into the seed. He had 12 soybeans per node around on some of the nodes. And I had never seen that before.
0: Yeah, it's, it's just amazing. I think the big takeaway is take a look at your fields a little closer this year, see what you really do just need the, for population, see what the difference is. Per node. Yeah. 12
3: pods per node. See, see what Not the differences soybeans. are plant
0: to plant and, and try to emulate the plants that are really being successful. Uh, well, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're taking questions from uh, one of our audiences here after an Ag PhD workshop. Hope you're enjoying that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
6: Think about a quarter inch of rain. That's all it takes to activate Amazon Pro Herbicide in your corn and protect against weeds. Now think about a full inch of rain, the amount most other herbicides require for activation. How long will you have to wait to get that? The weeds hope you'll choose another herbicide. Your corn hopes you choose Armazon Pro Herbicide. Pick a winner. Talk to your BASF rep about Armazon Pro Herbicide today. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions.
5: Are you frustrated with white mold showing up year after year in your soybeans? If you have tried fungicide applications and are still losing yield to white mold, now is the time to ask your seed dealer about Heads Up Plant Protectant. Heads Up is the first EPA registered seed treatment for the prevention of white mold in soybeans and pulse crops. The first line of defense on your farm against white mold now starts with the right seed treatment package. Locate a Heads Up dealer near you by visiting headsupst.com today.
0: Using Nserve Nitrogen Stabilizer with fall fertilizer applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show Nserve delivered an average revenue increase of
5: $22.96 per acre. And NSERV is the only recognized Nitrogen Stabilizer product
6: in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at
5: nitrogenmaximizers.com
2: one year it could be moisture stress, another pythium or nematodes. So you need your soybeans to rise ready for whatever the season holds. Now one simple decision provides coverage on four fronts. The Acceleron portfolio, fungicides, insecticides, bio-enhancers, and an industry-leading nematicide that strikes where nematodes attack. This season, rise stronger with Acceleron seed treatment products. Learn more at acceleronsas.com slash riseready. Performance may vary. It's important to use proper PPE when handling treated seed.
5: Listening to Ag PhD
0: Radio, we're broadcast, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. Hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to some of those questions. There's a lot of, a lot of big questions, Brian, around the country going into 2019. We got a number of mailbag questions here that I want to get to in just a second.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say we wrapped up our Ag PhD workshops for the year. It was a lot of fun. Again, we will have a number of those again next winter, primarily at the Morton Center, right on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. If you'd like to come, it, it, our workshops are free. We love having you there. I know this week we're really, we've got Neil Kinsey in this week, and it's super exciting just getting into the soil fertility aspect of things. But, you know, I, I just look at if you're going to get better on your farm, you've got to really study up and it's something that Darren and I are doing all the time. Fertility, weeds, insects, diseases, uh, just any farming practice that we can do. And we're trying new and different things all the time. And that's probably the number one thing that I would suggest from you. We we just have learned so much from our own on farm trials. And I just encourage you try one new thing every year, or a few new things every year, on small acres. But that's how you're going to learn, and you can, I'll just also say, it's also how you're going to fail. So I like failure because then I've weeded out some of the things that I don't want to do. If I figure, okay, if like in our farm every year we're probably trying five or ten new things. All right, let's say it's ten new things on small acres again. And, you know, there's probably going to be five, six, seven maybe even eight that are going to fail. But we're going to find one or two or three things that are going to work that look like we're going to have some more profit, and that's what I get super excited about. So try some new things on your farm. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren
0: got mostly a comment here. This is from a farmer up in Alberta. He says, your sprayer on your TV show is one of the very few I've seen in videos or on YouTube that's running with its booms at the correct height, low, about 20 to 30 inches above the crop. I see too many drivers, with the booms up high, flapping up and down. Hey, great comment! You know what? We well, got it. We got to keep that boom height down. And here's one of the things that gets to be a challenge, though, is what if you got really uneven ground, Brian? I, I talk to farmers all do the have time. We uneven that, ground. Man, that's where it's tough for me because I'm, I'm I've got uh, rolly terrain, and you never know which way it's going to be rolling, and I wa- don't want to ding up my boom.
1: Well, you got to think about where the incentive is for people all the time. In every walk of life. Okay, so think about a sprayer operator. Where is the incentive for that person? So, are they going to notice enormous? Or let's put it this way: Are they going to get their their pay docked if the weed control isn't perfect? No. Are they going to get a bonus if the weed control is perfect? No. Is somebody going to really, really yell at them though if they ding up the boom or wreck the boom, like you're you're talking about? absolutely that's going to happen. So I'm just trying to say the incentive is hard to one side to don't mess up our boom, don't wreck our equipment. And I mean, there's got to be some way to change that. And I, I don't know what the answer is, but I agree with you 100%. I see a lot of booms running really high, but I believe that's the reason why.
0: Hey, thanks for the comment. I really appreciate that. I uh, got a series of questions here from John in Maryland. And we had talked with John uh, probably a couple months ago about he's using wheat as a cover crop and has really been fighting some resistant weeds. And I know he was talking about using some bandvel in a fall burndown. Uh, John says, Well, Didn't get the burn down done. Uh, We got too wet in the fall. And I'm looking at this wheat cover crop and thinking I'm going to kill it early with Roundup and maybe add the Banvel in in the spring to eliminate resistant weeds. Uh, Several questions for you. What diseases and pest pressure are increased because this wheat cover crop is going to be out there in front of corn and soybeans? Uh, And what can I do to stop
5: that?
1: Okay. So I just wanted to handle one at a time. So if you have... Wheat, a wheat cover crop out there, you are more likely to have grass diseases. You are more likely to have insects that can affect grass. Wheat is a grass, corn is a grass. So it's not as big a deal if you're going to soybeans, but it is a bigger deal if you are going to corn or another grass crop.
0: Now throwing that Banville burn down in here too, John, before we get too far in front of corn, you can certainly do that in front of soybeans. You're going to have to plant extend soybeans. That's your only shot
1: but how early is he going to do that it's not labeled unless you're doing that a ways before a month early right right uh, well depending on the rate but but the the thing is if it's close to when you're going to plant those extend soybeans you would have to use one of the products that is labeled for that extendamax ingenia or fexapan
0: okay now uh, other questions he said also we have slug issues slugs love cold and wet yep, and of course that mulch is going to make it worse yep. i'm thinking uh, what would you base your decision on about timing of this burn down, on the amount of uh, rainfall <laughs> and how much mulch and all the boy? There's so many things here, John. Uh, okay, <laughs> right. So you got you got a lot of residue out there, and you got slugs, <laughs> and that's always going to increase the problem. When you've got more cover for those slugs, you're right. They like it cold, they like it wet, and they like it dark. So having that cover out there, that's the downside. The positive side, you're definitely going to help yourself on erosion control. You're going to help yourself on nitrates leaching away. You're going to help yourself uh, in many, many ways with the cover crop. But the downside is going to be if you're rotating into soybeans, you've kept some slugs around. If you're rotating into corn slugs and potentially disease issues too. So the green bridge thing, yeah, yeah, if you kill it off earlier, that's definitely going to help you if you can get in there.
1: Yeah, what we always talk about is eliminating the green bridge. So we'd really like everything dead for two weeks prior to planting, dead and brown if possible. In terms of those slugs, there are many ways to control those as well. A lot of people just throw out liquid 28% over the top, even at relatively low rates. Sometimes that can burn and kill many of them. Um, you could also use something like Gramoxone. That may help a little bit. It's not really intended for slug control or anything, but I'm just trying to say there are some products that can help you with, in reducing those slug numbers.
0: Thanks for the question John, really appreciate that. And good luck going into the spring. Hopefully it dries out and gets sunny for you soon. I get a question from Marlon here. He said I attended one of your 101 ways to cut expenses workshops in February and one of my biggest expenses is cash rent. I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for getting cash rent at a level that's fair where both parties can be profitable.
1: Well, I I I I don't know what to tell you. It's a it's, lot in the relationship
0: uh, and yeah. and a great conversation with that 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 renter. Now here is the downside. I was just talking to a farmer who recently purchased some land and he was going to rent it out. And uh, is that actually a commodity classic? And and he said, you know, he goes, I have to charge. I think in his case it was two hundred and fifty dollars, which seemed high in their area. He goes, "I have to, otherwise, why would I even buy the land? Because I'm not going to get any return on my investment." Now I know I've talked with other landlords that said, "Man, I'm on a fixed income, and I don't have a whole bunch of land. I need that rent to to be able to support myself." And I, I know when you get in those situations, it's tough, and you'd like to think every landlord, well, they've got the ground paid for; they should be in great shape here financially, but. The, the honest fact is they, they aren't always in great shape you, you don't really know what they're at and what their side of the coin is but certainly well, explaining your side and saying here's where we're at here's what my expenses are yes here's where my potential profitability is if I raise a normal yield and of course hey I might get less than this and I might get a little bit more and I've talked to a number of growers around the country that are operating on flex contracts where hey here's kind of a base level and then if we hit certain profit levels then the landlord gets a bonus as well, and they've had some some decent luck with that. But there's there's no saying they actually have to do any kind of decrease in rate to you because chances are somebody else in your area would be willing to pay more.
1: And then the flip side of that is if you're farming ground, that I should say if you're renting ground that's not profitable, after a while it's like, well, why are we doing this? So we've looked at the same thing on our own farm. We don't have many pieces that we are, are cash renting anymore. The ones we have, we believe at this point, are fair rent. But, you know, things can vary a lot. So if all of a sudden we work some great deal out with China and commodity prices explode, well, it might be amazing. But on the other hand, if we don't work things out there and our commodity prices get even worse, well... Almost any cash rent deal is not going to be profitable, so it's really, really hard. But to Darren's point, I'd say talk to the landlord, show them your expenses, talk about profitability, and then also talk about uh, fertility. You're removing from the soil that that at least needs to be replaced every year.
0: Marlon, thanks for the question. Thanks for coming to our, our workshop as well. It was a real fun discussion talking about all the ways that you could potentially cut expenses on the farm because we do need to consider each and every one of those every season well thanks to everyone who sent in questions today we really appreciate it and thanks to you for listening and be sure to join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio now stay tuned for rob sharkey and shark farmer radio